Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Ormo Baths podcast. My name is Simon Ross and in this series of podcasts I'm really just trying to highlight some of the cool stuff that's happening here in Northern Ireland's startup scene. The entrepreneurs I've been talking to are all based in or affiliated with the Ormo Baths in Belfast and that's true of the guest for this episode, Jess Dornan Linus. Jess, along with her dad Jim, has created Afterbook a digital platform that allows people to collect and share their memories of loved ones with their family and their friends. Her vision was both to create a home for beautiful tributes and also to help people who are dealing with grief. Here's Jess explaining how the business works. So Afterbook is a digital platform where you can tell the life story of and build a legacy to a deceased loved one or indeed build your own legacy and tell your own life stories and in preparedness for the after. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really interesting concept. The, t- the idea, I, I guess, um, from what I understand, is inspired by the loss of your own mum and how you were sort of dealing with that and wanting to preserve yeah. her memory, I guess. Yeah, uh, my mum died 20 years ago, almost to the day, actually, and I it was before the dawn of the internet as, as we knew it as a, as a consumer, and I found it very hard, frankly impossible, to find anywhere to go, um, to either seek solace and meet people going through something similar, or to uh, remember her better. And now that I am a mum of two children, and my husband, actually my husband did meet my mum before she died, but not as my partner or anything like that, just because we're so Northern Irish, an arranged marriage, um, and our families knew each other. but. I want them both to know my mum better and to know what she meant to me and for my children to know more about their Nana Lorna and I say often that I take my children to her grave which is, is um, it's a beautiful place for me, it's not a maudlin um, experience, I'm not saying I never cry but you never know when that's going to come. Yeah, sure. But I read her headstone and it says a lovely life well lived 1948 to 1998 and that just doesn't do it, her life justice at all. Yeah, it's yeah. the dash between those dates, 1948 to 1998, that I really want to remember and all the detail that I want to remember. I don't want it to be lost or forgotten. And and obviously, I mean, there's been... Uh, the people deal with sort of loss in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. Do you think that, that um, having these sort of memories, whether it's photos or, or videos, I guess, now, or letters, whatever it might be, um, and having that sort of stuff readily available, accessible... That it kind of really helps people, it gives them some sort yeah. of peace. Nostalgia, nostalgia is cathartic and I know from speaking to many bereavement therapists and we have a clinical psychologist on our board, on our advisory board, that um, remembering and facing the stories and, and remembering the person better helps them cope with their bereavement and with their loss. We would like to establish a community forum where people can come and meet people going through the same thing. Uh, it's been described as mum's net for grief, but I don't know if I would describe <laughs> it thus. But it certainly, I, that would actually appeal to me yeah. because I, I remember when my mum died, I wanted to meet another 19-year-old girl who'd lost her mother. And yeah. although I'd maybe met a guy in his 20s whose dad had died or I knew someone who'd lost their parents when they were a child, I didn't it had to be as precise as that because yeah. no one knows what a 19 year old girl is going through but a 19 year old girl you know 
And as you said, it's a, a, a kind of a, a separate to the um, community aspect of it. You, you sort of refer to it there, that kind of uh, something for the next generation of families to yeah. actually know people that you maybe aren't fortunate enough to get the chance to know um, yeah. in life. I, you know, I, I probably have people that, that, that I would like to know more about who yeah. I didn't get the chance to. All the detail, you know, um, like I, I'm, I'm just about to write a new chapter on my mum's uh, profile actually about how my parents met and that story would be lost and you know my father was a doctor my mother a nurse at the Royal and in those days in 1970 uh, there was a staff swimming pool in the Royal and uh, it was weather like it is now in Northern Ireland and a lovely long hot summer and my dad had watched this this nurse get off the swimming pool <laughs> over and over again in a white bikini and eventually he plucked up the courage one day to go and ask her for a, for a light, for a cigarette. He didn't smoke but he knew that she did so it's he nice thought line, this is nice the line. only way to, to get a meeting with her and um, they were married five months later and as things happened quickly in those days um, and then 20 years after, no, 30 years after that uh, my my dad came home from work one day with um, uh, the swimming pool ladders and they'd been filling in the swimming pool in the Royal and he said, oh, those are the ladders that I first saw my wife on, can I take them home? And he brought them home from my mum and they Isn't that funny? sat yeah. around the back of the shed for a while. So that kind of, story. yeah, and those I sort have of... A, a print in my home of a swimming pool, it's quite a funky sort of print of, of Californian swimming pool steps, mm -hmm. but... It reminds me of that story, and I'll put that into my after book, you know. Yeah. If, so, all, if all physical was lost, then that's where the stories will remain. So it's really that sort of detail that you really sparks something in people's imaginations yeah. and, and that's important and a yeah. part of what you're doing with after book. Then. Yeah. And my siblings and I often say, oh, look, we, you know, we all live disparately. We all live all over the world mm -hmm. and in London and all over. And um, we often say, well, let's get together and just spend a whole evening just telling stories about mum and just remembering her well. And I think that's a very Irish thing, actually, that sure. storytelling yeah. quality and that narrative value that we can bring to storytelling. But um, we rarely get a chance to do it, if ever, if I'm mm. honest. But I, I can share mum's afterbook profile with them and they can add to the memory jar of the afterbook profile so they can say... Do you remember that story? Mm -hmm. And here's, I just found this photograph of mum or, or one of the other um, impetus for Afterbook was that my father had bumped into someone in a train station, I believe, who said, I have camcorder, this is how it was 1993 <laughs> or something like that, earlier, 91 maybe, I have camcorder footage of your mum, your wife, as she was to dad, obviously, uh, singing at a christening in Belfast Castle. And we never would have seen that footage uh, had dad not just happened to bump into that man. Yeah. And dad had delivered the baby whose christening we were at, and that's right, why. Yeah. And, and, um, so that, that, that video is on my mum's afterbook profile as well. And the, I, I suppose that idea, um, you know, I, I, I'm guessing where you started in some ways is that whole memory memory box idea. It's something that probably people have been doing for a long time. Yeah. But was, was it surprising to you when you, you were looking at setting up after nobody had really done this in, a, in the digital world, given where we are today? Yeah, not really. I mean, you can have a digital a memorial page for mm -hmm. someone. I mean, that's not uncommon, and especially in America and Australia. It's less common in, in the UK, but the UK have... A, a very and Ireland have a very different uh, 
stance on, on death and bereavement and I believe and all my research has shown me that it very much imposed upon us by the Victorians when Prince Albert died and Queen Victoria basically imposed periods of mourning, everything became black, all the dress, all the furniture, yeah. all the art even. Um, and we still haven't evolved from that. Um, and yet I look to other cultures like Mexico or Ghana, where they really celebrate life in Mexico with the mm. Day of the Dead celebrations. And that's what I wanted to do was really celebrate my mum's life because what are we all here for without getting too lofty? But, you know, she had a, a life worth remembering, yeah. worth celebrating. And although we didn't have a memorial page, as I say, there just wasn't and and in my opinion isn't anything multifaceted enough and sensitive enough and um you know obviously we have facebook and uh, facebook has undoubtedly changed the world it really has but it's not the sensitive and secure place and my mom no. certainly didn't have a facebook profile and i wouldn't retro create one for yeah, her sure and you can put a facebook profile into in memoriam there's a process of providing death certificates etc etc um, and I believe that's what a lot of people use if they happen to lose someone uh, who has had a Facebook profile, you know, before they yeah. passed on. But for me, it's not the place. It's not sensitive and secure enough. And I don't want to be looking at the shoes that I nearly bought last week while I'm remembering my mum. It should be a very separate thing, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I suppose you touched on it there. I mean, families are it's important for everyone wherever, wherever you are in the world and people yeah. as you say some people celebrate it some some cultures maybe more, more so than others but do you see what you're doing with Afterbook therefore as having I suppose global potential to look at it just from the business perspective? Hugely, hugely. I mean I would like to be a plug-in for the funeral industry um, as an add-on to their package and the UK government have just announced a huge review into the two billion um, worth per annum funeral industry because uh, value to customers just isn't there and customers are feeling a little you know cheated by yeah. the system yeah. at the moment and so afterbook is a real is a real value add-on that can be delivered um but also into the ancestry and genealogy industry worldwide it's huge so industry it's huge yeah. it's absolutely massive and we all want to know where we've come from it's as simple as that yeah some of us want to know where we're going some of us don't mind not knowing and but we all want to know where we've come from and we all, I believe, are here to make connections with other people and live a life that is rich in stories. My father and I talk about the after chapters of your life. So life being like a library of pathos and adventure and love and education. And, and these are all stories worth telling. And the after chapters, the chapters that you can add to your after book um, represent, you can soon make up the library of your life. Well, tell me a little bit about your route to finding Afterbook. I saw one bit of uh, press coverage around when whatever you launched, which described you as a designer, stylist, and one-time lion keeper. That, that is true. That takes a bit of explanation. That is true. I have a very colourful past. <laughs> My friend Fiona, who, who does a lot of content work for me with Afterbook, thinks I've lived a thousand lives in many different uh, eras. Yeah, I trained in fashion design, um, something my mum actually wanted to do, and her parents had not allowed her to go to art college. Oh, it wasn't right. done thing in the 60s for a very strict, um, you know, preaching family in Northern Ireland. So she was enrolled in nursing college whether yeah. she liked it or not, and she did like it. Um, yeah. So I went on to art college and I did fashion design. I worked in design and jeanswear for, for a few years. Um, 
and traveled a lot and that was life, it was great. Um, but then for various reasons, I'd always wanted to go and spend time in Africa and I'd always wanted to work with lions. So what was meant to be a, I think it was meant to be two weeks and then it was meant to be a month and then it was three months and it became a year and I worked on a lion breeding project in Africa. Wow. Lived in a caravan, no electricity for a year. I used to wake up and sort of joke with my friend Heather that, you know, that uh, Karen Blixen, that I had a farm in Africa and that I had a caravan in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and I would bottle feed a lion cub every morning as my first duty. But like everything, you know, you come full circle with it. And I ended up kind of falling out of love with an industry that is an industry yeah. out there, whether you like it or not. So there's some pros and cons about it all. I and I came back and got back into fashion and um, then was married to my husband's uh, a pilot and I was traveling a lot with, with him and his work and uh, it was I wasn't looking to start a fund my own business. I certainly wasn't looking to find a tech business. I have no knowledge of the tech industry at all. I have no knowledge of the startup, no previous knowledge of the startup world and I've learned a lot in the last 15, 18 months. But my father and I, and my father's a very um, loose guy, thinking type man, and we were having dinner one night a week before Christmas in at the very end of 2016. And uh, he told me about this conceptual idea that he had about a place to go, and he said, and he's on the internet, and he was going to call it Spirit Land or something like that. <laughs> Well, that's dreadful for a start, <laughs> but there's something in the idea, and we were like two, you know, rabbits in the headlights. You know, we just started plodding about. But we met a, a brand development agency, and we got um, a prototype up very quickly, and we got the TechStart proof of concept grant early on, and that really helped us to to build our our MVP. Um, and now my father is is seventy years old and not exactly wanting to be full-time co-founder of a tech platform right, yeah. so it's really he's and adopts an advisory role yeah it, i should say and and i've been working on it ever since yeah i mean you where do you where do you sort of want to take it now you said like 18 months ago maybe you didn't see yourself uh, as a as a founder and, and not in the the, the tech industry mm -hmm. uh, interesting seeing you know around the orbital bass around the, the uh, mcknight and propel programs there are there are, there are quite a few sort of women who are, who are who are in that doing yeah. similar sort of journey in a way who are finding uh, businesses in, in, in tech where do you where do you see it well that's going? it i mean and you said you know they're women it's it's not really a woman's game although it's mm. great to see so many women here and i'm really happy about that and that I, it's worth mentioning that that i'm also very passionate about that that although it's kind of against all odds that I am doing what I'm doing because my husband works away during the week and I have two small children and I don't have any, you know, grand parental childcare or anything like that. So it's been hard to, to take it this far, but um, I'll keep going. We're bootstrapped thus far. I'm looking for investment at the moment, um, considering all investment options. So I don't know whether it would be crowdfunding or or through VC or angel funding, but um, there are a few conversations happening at the moment that, that could prove 
worthwhile for interesting, me. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. So, yeah. I mean, I wonder, you sort of mentioned the, the sort of female women in tech type uh, question, which I, I don't want to dwell on too much, but I wonder in the area you're in, um, whether you call it sort of the wellness area or, or, or mental health or whatever, do you think there is something in that idea that, that women sort of do particularly well with, with, with well, businesses that are aimed at that? Is there an understanding? Is there I do something? think there's a, a more inherent understanding from women about the importance of um, good mental health yeah. and improving one's mental health, not least because... Um, it's always without sounding to you know suffragette you know it's always about banging down doors and mm -hmm. breaking glass ceilings and so women have to be strong of, of mind to, to keep doing that and you know like it or not a lot happens for men that just happens that mm -hmm. that really doesn't just happen for women and they have to fight harder for it um but also because of issues like postnatal depression um and i just think because of how our lifestyles are are run these days that we we have to be well aware of it you know we've, we've finally come to a place where we're much more aware of our physical good health um and we need to be that needs to be on a par with our mental good health and and from my point of view it's slightly more niche and yet it's not niche but that is the uh, changing the conversations around grief and, yeah. and bereavement and we are having much more conversations about mental health and that's brilliant but and in the last 12 or 18 months we've been having more conversations around grief mm. princess william and harry cheryl sandberg rio ferdinand um simon thomas from uh, sky you know all of these people are being much more open about their journeys with grief mm. and um and therefore their battle with mental health in the face of that. And I say often, you know, one in four of us will suffer from mental health um, difficulties, but one in one will suffer a bereavement at some point. And they're not inextricably linked, but I think there is some link there. Um, and I could envisage that there would be uh, tailored packages for, for with Afterbook for the military, for the education sector, for corporates, right. all of whom have to suffer and deal with the impact of loss amongst their personnel um, and the, the ripple effect that that causes. So I would hope that Afterbook could be the answer.